Welcome to Puritans Read, reading aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode three of The Letters of Samuel Rutherford. To Lady Kenmure, a union for prayer recommended, Anwath, 23rd January, 1634. Madam, having received a letter from some of the worthiest of the ministry in this kingdom, the contents whereof I am desired to communicate to such professors in these parts as I know love the beauty of Zion, and are afflicted to see the Lord's vineyard trodden underfoot by the wild boars out of the wood who lay at waste. I could not but also desire your ladyship's help to join with the rest, desiring you to impart it to my Lord, your husband, and if you think it needful, I shall write to his Lordship as Mr. G.G. shall advertise me. Now, therefore, that the best affected of the ministry have thought it convenient and necessary at such a time as this, that all who love the truth should join their prayers together and cry to God with humiliation and fasting. The times which are agreed upon are the first two Sabbaths of February next, and the six days intervening betwixt these Sabbaths, as they may conveniently be had, and the first Sabbath of every quarter. And the causes, as they are written to me, are these. Number one, besides the distresses of the Reformed churches abroad, the many reigning sins of uncleanness, ungodliness, and unrighteousness in this land, the present judgments on the land, and many more hanging over us, whereof few are sensible or yet know the right and true cause of them. Number two, the lamentable and pitiful estate of a glorious church in so short a time against so many bonds in doctrine, sacrament, and discipline, so sore persecuted in the persons of faithful pastors and professors, and the door of God's house kept so straight by bastard porters, insomuch that worthy instruments, able for the work, are held at the door, the rulers having turned over religion into policy, and the multitude ready to receive any religion that shall be enjoined by authority. Number three, in our humiliation, besides that we are under a necessity of deprecating God's wrath and vowing to God sincerely new obedience, the weakness, coldness, silence, and lukewarmness of some of the best of the ministry and the deadness of professors who have suffered the truth both secretly to be stolen away, 
and openly to be plucked from us would be confessed. Number four, atheism, idolatry, profanity, and vanity should be confessed. Our king's heart recommended to God, and God entreated that he would stir up the nobles and the people to turn from their evil ways. Thus, madam, hoping that your ladyship will join with others, that such a work be not slighted at such a necessary time when our kirk is at the overturning, I will promise to myself your help as the Lord in secrecy and prudence shall enable you, that your ladyship may rejoice with the Lord's people when deliverance shall come. For true and sincere humiliation come always speed with God, and when authority, king, court, and churchmen oppose the truth, what other armor have we but prayer and faith? Whereby, if we rest well with him, there is ground to hope that those who would remove the burdensome stone, Zechariah 12.3, out of its place shall but hurt their back, and the stone shall not be moved, or at least not removed. Grace, grace be with you from him who hath called you to the inheritance of the saints in light. To Lady Kenmure, on the death of Lord Kenmure, design of and duties under affliction. Anwath, 14 September, 1634. My very noble and worthy lady, often I call to mind the comforts that I myself, a poor friendless stranger, received from your ladyship here in a strange part of the country when my Lord took from me the delight of mine eyes, as the word speaketh, Ezekiel twenty four sixteen, which wound is not yet fully healed and cured. I trust your Lord will remember that and give you comfort now at such a time as this, wherein your dearest Lord hath made you a widow, that you may be a free woman for Christ. Seeing among all crosses spoken of in our Lord's word, this giveth you a particular right to make God your husband, which was not so yours while your husband was alive. Read God's mercy out of this visitation, and albeit I must, out of some experience, say, the mourning for the husband of your youth be, by God's own mouth, the heaviest worldly sorrow. Joel 1 8. And though this be the weightiest burden that ever lay upon your back, yet you know when the fields are emptied and your husband now asleep in the Lord, if you shall wait upon him who hideth his face for a while, that it lieth upon God's honor and truth to fill the field and to be a husband to the widow. See and consider then what you have lost and how little it is. Therefore, madam, let me entreat you in the bowels of Christ Jesus and by the comforts of his spirit and your appearance before him. Let God 
and men and angels now see what is in you. The Lord hath pierced the vessel. It will be known whether there be in it wine or water. Let your faith and patience be seen that it may be known that your only beloved, first and last, hath been Christ. And therefore now, were your whole love upon him, he alone is a suitable object for your love and all the affections of your soul. God hath dried up one channel of your love by the removal of your husband. Let now that speech run upon Christ. Your Lord and lover hath graciously taken your husband's name and your name out of the summonses that are raised at the instant of the terrible, sin-avenging judge of the world against the house of Kenmure. And I dare say that God's hammering of you from your youth is only to make you a fair-carved stone in the high upper temple of the new Jerusalem. Your Lord never thought this world's vain painted glory a gift worthy of you, and therefore would not bestow it on you because he is to provide you with a better portion. Let the movables go. The inheritance is yours. You are a child of the house, and joy is laid up for you. It is long in coming, but not the worse for that. I am now expecting to see, and that with joy and comfort, that which I hoped of you since I knew you fully, even that you have laid such strength upon the Holy One of Israel that you defy troubles, and that your soul is a castle that may be besieged but cannot be taken. What have you to do here? This world never looked like a friend upon you. You owe it little love. It looked ever sour-like upon you. Howbeit you should woo it, it will not match with you. And therefore, never seek warm fire under cold ice. This is not a field where your happiness groweth. It is up above, where there are a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Revelation 7, 9. What you could never get here, you shall find there. And withal, consider how, in all these trials, and truly they have been many, your Lord hath been loosing you at the root from perishing things and hunting after you to grip your soul. Madam, for the Son of God's sake, let him not miss his grip, but stay and abide in the love of God, as Jude saith, verse 21. Now, madam, I hope your ladyship will take these lines in good part, and wherein I have fallen short and failed to your ladyship in not evidencing what I was obliged to you more than undeserved love and respect. I request for a full pardon for it. Again, my dear and noble lady, let me beseech you to lift your head, for the day of your redemption draweth near, and remember 
That star, which shined in Galloway, is now shining in another world. Now I pray that God may answer in his own style to your soul, and that he may be to you the God of all consolations. Marion McNaught, The Prospect of Exile in Aberdeen. Edinburgh, 5 April, 1636. Honored and dearest in the Lord, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. I am well, and my soul prospereth. I find Christ with me. I burden no man. I want nothing. No face looketh on me, but it laugheth on me. Sweet, sweet is the Lord's cross. I overcome my heaviness. My bridegroom's love blinks fatten my weary soul. I soon go to my king's palace at Aberdeen. Tongue and pen and wit cannot express my joy. Remember my love to Jean Gordon, to my sister Jean Brown, to Grizel, to your husband. Thus in haste, grace be with you. Yours in his only, only Lord Jesus. S-R-P-S. My charge is to you to believe Rejoice, sing, and triumph. Christ has said to me, Mercy, mercy, grace, and peace for Marion McNaught. That was episode three of The Letters of Samuel Rutherford. <laughs>